seafood lovers, and welcome to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Erna Berry Marketing Assistant Nicole Christie, and I'm here with Seafood News staff writer Amanda Buckle. Happy Monday, everyone. It is a happy Monday indeed. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Erner Berry. You can visit Erner Berry's booth, booth number 364 at Seafood Expo North America in Boston, which is being held from March 11th to the 13th. So come stop by our booth. You can check out our free demos of our premium services, Foreign Trade Data and Comtel. And you can check out our line of seafood posters, books, and even some playing cards. So we've got some really cool stuff for you guys. Lots of great goodies. So, let's kick off this podcast. Uh, Do you want to break down what we're going to be talking about today? Yes, of course. I think we have a pretty good episode today, if I do say so myself. (laughs) I agree Um, with you. (laughs) So, today we're going to be talking about ropeless fishing gear and South Korea's radiation ban on Japanese fish. Plus, we're going to get a bit wild. That is right, Nicole. We've got an update on the California brown bears who were rescued from the wildfires at Rock, California at the end of last year. But before we get there, let's kick things off with a ropeless fishing gear that is causing some controversy right now. Now, from what I understand, ropeless fishing gear could save whales and other marine life that's becoming entangled. Is that right? Yeah. So whales are getting entangled in this fishing gear. um, And I mean, I'm an animal lover, so, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see whales getting entangled Mm -hmm. or other, you know, uh, sea turtles or anything getting entangled in the fishing gear. So the ropeless fishing gear seems like a great idea, but there there is actually a lot of controversy around it, and it's um, actually a really touchy situation. Basically, what it comes down to is that there are only 450 North Atlantic right whales left in the world, and the fear is that these whales could be extinct as early as the year 2040. Oh my goodness. It's pretty crazy. And, and last year alone, 18 right whales were killed, and while some were killed due to entanglement in gear, the other issue is that these creatures are being struck by vessels and dying from blood force okay. trauma. Yeah, and so like nothing, you know, none of this is malicious, you know, so scientists at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts recently presented lobster room with a ropeless fishing concept that would eliminate the need for long rope to connect the traps at the bottom of the ocean to the buoys on the surface. And they essentially said that, you know, lobstermen have two choices. They can either, you know, close off fishing grounds for longer periods of time um, or figure out a way to fish without ropes. And the thing is that these scientists already have a prototype made, and part of it involves fishermen using electronic transmitters to find their traps. But the suggestion to switch to ropeless fishing gear has lobstermen up in arms. And their concern involves their gear getting stranded on the bottom of the ocean, which is, you know, legitimate. You know, if the transmitters fail, all this gear is just, how do you find it? You know, and that's what they're going to be relying on with that ropeless gear. They're also concerned about learning how to use this equipment. You know, if they mandate this, every lobsterman has to learn how to use it, and Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I think it's the same thing with, like, technology today. Like, I, I get <laughs> I get nervous. Like, I still don't know how to use Snapchat. Oh, and that's <laughs> been around for a few years now. So, <laughs> But it is, like, it's, it's very intimidating when you're coming out with this new technology. And, I mean, you have some older guys out there who are probably set in their ways. They don't want to switch. They've been doing this for, year, mm-hmm. for years. They're, you know, fathers before them and grandfathers before them. Everyone's been using the same gear. So how do you switch it up. Right. But I mean, you would think they would want to conform and learn to use that because they don't really want to be closing their fishing grounds. So I think, you know, investing in that technology would be good. So how much, you know, does that technology cost? Is there an average? (laughs) That's the other big thing here is that they're really up in arms about the cost of it. Um, And there is like no set price. The prototypes that they do have are going for around $18,000, which is 
pretty steep. It's a decent chunk of change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but that price is likely to drop if the equipment is mass produced. Um, I believe they said it could drop to like a couple hundred dollars. Um, but the problem is still that, like in Maine alone, there are like approximately like three million traps. So imagine everyone having to replace all that gear. That's a lot of money. And even $18,000 to a couple hundred dollars mass produced, that's a big spread. That's a big difference. So you would think that they would want to mass produce if there's a demand for, you know, this technology Mm -hmm. and people start adapting to it. Yeah. There's, I mean, I I think there's still like a lot of kinks to be worked out. I think it's still something to look into. I totally understand, Mm -hmm. you know, why lobsters are concerned about this. Like I said, there's, I think, I don't think there's enough um, information yet, mm-hmm. and you know, but at the same time, maybe there's an opportunity. I don't know if a lot of these options, like if there's been given a chance for them to try out this equipment, that would be good, like a trial period, you mm-hmm. know. And I think they would need a lot of in-depth training because dealing with this mass equipment, if it's going to yeah. be so expensive, like an eighteen thousand dollar equipment, they need to be properly trained on how to use it. Yeah, and like a demo. I mean, it's one thing like watching, like they have um, some photos up of of what the equipment would look like, but. It's one thing seeing a photo. It's another thing watching a video. Like, I think they actually need to be out in the water demoing. I definitely, definitely agree with you there. Well, that's definitely going to be one story to watch. Without a doubt. Moving along, the World Trade Organization just ruled against South Korea's radiation ban on Japanese fish. So South Korea put a ban on imports or required additional testing and certification requirements of certain food products like fish, from Japan following the Fukushima power plant accident that occurred in 2011. And it was actually illegal for South Korea to do so, strictly for public health reasons. But now the radiation levels have fallen, and WTO ruled that South Korea was violating trade rules by you know, putting these bans in place and requiring all this additional testing. So that's, that's WTO's ruling, but South Korea isn't budging. And they said on Friday that they're going to be appealing the WTO's ruling in order to protect public health and safety. Um, but South Korea, they're not the first country to ban imports of food from Japan. Yeah, correct. I mean, after Fukushima, I mean, it's it makes sense that when the power plant, I mean, it was like the earthquake and the tsunami, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of radiation and, you know, bad things ended up in the water. So, I mean, it makes sense. But, I mean, since, I mean, that was in 2011. Since then, several countries have lifted the ban and... You know, it's no longer in place. You know, obviously South Korea has their own concerns, and that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be a, that's going to be another interesting story, story to see to, play out. Oh yeah, I'm definitely interested in how that plays out. Um, and on to our final story of the day: tilapia bears. Woo! So for those of you who have been loyal SeafoodNews.com podcast <laughs> listeners, I believe we touched on this story in our very first podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, it was actually, you know, a pretty heartfelt story, and it had to do with a bear cub who was caught in the California wildfires mm-hmm. back um we actually might have talked about there was a mountain lion cub that was also, I think it might have been... The mountain lion cub. So, tilapia cub. <laughs> Basically, we're just obsessed with so We love animals, we, so we're... We do. And it all has to do with using tilapia skin as a remedy. So, um, what it was, what was the organization specifically that took in the bear cub? Uh, well, I mean, it was, there was like no set organization. It was like the... Um, I mean, the wildlife, California wildlife Wildlife. and fish, the bears and the mountain lion cub, um, they were all found with uh, severe burns on their their paws. Um, And specifically for the bears, there was two female bears that were found. Um, One was actually pregnant, they discovered after they they took her in. Uh, But these bears were burned so bad on their paws that they could not even stand. So it's like, what do you do, you know, in in this case? And especially with uh, the pregnancy, Mm -hmm. I mean, and... 
I mean, on top of it, you don't want these wild bears getting used to life inside, right. you know, a cage. Because they have or, to go back into the wildlife. Yeah, you know, and that's, you know, I mean, obviously it's nice that we have zoos and everything that, you know, if they can't get reacclimated into the, mm-hmm. into the wild that, you know, they can go there. Um, and I believe that's actually what happened with the mountain lion cub. I think he's somewhere else. I didn't think he got released back. But, um, you know, time was definitely, you know, sensitive in, in this situation with the bears. And um, they didn't want the, the, the baby cub bear to be um, born in captivity. So they decided to turn to tilapia skin to heal the burns on the animals. And what's really cool about this is that um, one of the vets that were working on these uh, paws, it was actually uh, UC Davis Veterinary Teaching Hospital, um, to go back to what you were asking before. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so basically this vet was reading about in, in um, Brazil, they actually use tilapia skin on humans to heal um, burn wounds. And they don't do that in the U.S. I mean, we have other medicine and that mm-hmm. they've been using, but it hasn't been used on animals before. And what they do is they sterilize the tilapia skin um, and then they stitch it onto the burn paws. Then they wrap it with rice paper and corn husk bandages. Um, kind of almost sounds like a dinner. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, I don't think I would eat that dinner. <laughs> but it's it's actually a, a harmless bandage if, if it's eaten by the bears because obviously you can't. I mean, you can tell a, a human not to to bite the bandages off, but <laughs> but you can't do Animals that. Animals will do anything. Yeah, but I mean, at least if they ate this, you know, this bandage, they they would be essentially fine. Um, but the tilapia's can actually like uh, um, soothes like pain and it promotes healing. Um, just whatever's in the skin. So these bears are actually this. I mean, the bears were the fires happened in late December, mm-hmm. and the bears I think were taken in early January, and they are back out in the wild. Um, so it, it's a Happy real, story. it's a real feel good story. And I, I think um, I mean, hopefully those wildfires were devastating, mm-hmm. and obviously you know they're out, but something's bound to happen again. And it's just nice knowing that this technology exists. Now they know. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, if you follow our Seafood News Twitter account as well as our Instagram account, um, I believe we posted a picture of the bear cubs. I know we posted a picture of the mountain lion with the tilapia skin. Yeah, but I will post them right now. We'll post that. If you want to follow that, um, it's definitely worth seeing. They're it, they're ridiculously cute. But, they, yeah, they have photos of them. They put trackers on them, obviously, now just mm-hmm. to, to monitor them and make sure. Because you can't just release them back in the wild and no. hope for the best. There you go. <laughs> Good luck. It was nice knowing you for a day. But they made these, they made these like, makeshift, like, um... They left them in these little caves almost, mm-hmm. so they would wake up. They drugged them and and left them out there, but so that they didn't leave them just out in the open. Like they made these little makeshift areas for them, and and the, one of the cubs, the, one of the bears, was still around there. But they seem to be doing great, and I hope they keep <laughs> giving updates because I would love to to love know to, more about to these. meet them too. <laughs> but now that they're released, that won't happen. No. That would have been cool. No, no tilapia bear cuddles. <laughs> oh no. So. That wraps up our podcast for today. Once again, we will be at Seafood Expo North America, March 11th to 13th in Boston. We'll have free demos of Comtel and foreign trade data. And also don't forget to bring some of your coworkers along too because they would probably really benefit from that information as well. And we do have some cool posters that you can actually sift through and see different shellfish and different species of seafood. Um, We also do have playing cards and a lot of educational books as well. So it's definitely worth it to come stop by and just stop by and say hi. I will be there. Nicole will not. But we Mm -hmm. have a a fantastic team at Ernaberry that is excited to meet with, you know, a lot of customers and new customers and... 
It'll be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. Until next week, we hope you have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>